I, I guess my question is, do you want instant gratification or do you want to win? GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. I am streaming live at uh, at the WORD Facebook page and the X page. And I cannot help but see on the on the text line where they're talking about Trump and Herman McCain. Isn't he dead? And wasn't it Herman Cain? I'm just, you know, I'm just confused. The federal government needs to have their wings clipped. They abuse power like it's free. They abuse power and they, in in fact, abuse the populace of the country. You've got a two-tiered justice system with the DOJ. You've got the FBI who interferes in the election process. And you've got the Department of Homeland Security uh, that basically just say, oh, yes, the border is secure, but they never go down there and they don't ever secure it. And I postulate this to you for your consideration. It would be great if we got everything we want in 2024. As long as you understand that if we get everything we want in 2024, as soon as that happens, all the new politicians that are coming in because we just took the Senate back and we just took the House all together and Trump just won the president, the, the, the president's office. All of those things are going to be great, but as soon as they get in there, we have two years to try to implement any real change that has any depth to where it changes the way the country runs of those things I just mentioned. Now, Trump will come in. He's going to open the spigots on oil. He's going to get out there and shut down the he's going to shut down the uh, the border and he's going to let everybody know out there that he's pulling us out of the Paris Accords, the Paris Accords, the Paris Accords. And he's going to also look at all of these leaders out there going, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. He's going to be telling that Hamas. He's going to be telling that to Iran. He's going to be telling that to North Korea. And he's going to be telling that to Xi Jinping. And that's what he's going to do. And things will be good. Things will be better. Gas is going to, as soon as he's elected, gas starts coming down. As soon as he's elected, the housing market loosens up and the interest rates start to come down because he will be pro-business. That will happen. Not, not, we don't have to wait on him to get, you know, to get, uh, you know, inaugurated or even certified. As soon as he wins, that happens. That'll be great and temporary. So if you want, if you want serious long-term change, we got to get out of this as a sprint mentality and start going in and, and training for some cardiovascularity. Trump got out there and he put together something called Schedule F. It was a uh, executive order. Um, what we have is we got a bunch of career officials that will actually inhibit an executive, an elected exe executive. And this was all based on the Pendleton Civil Service Reform Act of 1883. It sought to improve government efficiency and end the spoil system by creating a professional managerial element based on merit. So in other words, things didn't change every time we got a new president. And that's probably, if we had a smaller government, we wouldn't have to worry about this, but we don't yet, so we got to work on this. So, 
We could re-implement Schedule F, which would mean that there's about 50,000 employees that actually shape policy as within, these, uh, within the executive alphabet agencies. Those guys could all be fired and replaced every time a new president came in. And then his, his policies would be enacted, not the professional deep state bureaucrats. He could direct the Office of Personnel Management to recruit nationwide for federal positions, GS-12, with a relocation allowance. 80% of the jobs in D.C. can be filled by people in D.C. because they have the qualifications, but they don't have a relocation allowance. So all they're hiring day in and day out are the same guys over and over again. you got one guy who's got a resume where he's worked all over the federal government, but, you know, he, he lives in the same place. So this would increase the talent pool, item number one, and it would get rid of the bureaucrats, item number two, short term anyway. Then we could reorganize the government. And when I say that, I'm talking about taking the government agencies and dispersing them throughout the country, which is actually a good idea. See, in the event that they wanted to destroy our government, if we had one worth saving in the first place, uh... All they got to do is send a couple of nukes to Washington, D.C., and everything gets taken out. Everything gets taken out. So it makes good strategic sense to disperse the various offices of the government, given the way we have the line of ascension to the presidency in the case this guy goes down, that guy, this guy. So the technology already exists to implement it. See, I don't understand with the World Economic Forum. Couldn't they do Zoom calls in there? They, and, and then wouldn't that save Gaia more than getting on the on the private jet? So all of these, we have the, uh, you know, we have the technology. In D.C., though, nine of the richest 20 counties are in D.C. and in the suburbs. So you could say put the new FBI headquarters in St. Louis or Kansas City. Sort of a more central location. Homeland Security could be out of a Texas city, preferably near the southern border. The Department of Interior in Wyoming, Montana. Putting them with the rest of America would actually take them out of the bubble of D.C. where they think this can work and that can work and all these other things. And the establishment elite don't like this idea at all. They don't like it. First of all... uh. One of the arguments made is that 80% of the federal employees work outside of the national capital region. Well, that's true, but these are the guys that work like, you know, for Social Security and everything else. They're not making policy. They're just executing it. Second is federal agencies can better serve the American people by being physically close to them. Which is sort of the opposite, because uh, that actually proves it would work. COVID-19 uh, proved that re remote work allowed agencies to get their, their work done from anywhere. And the 20% of the D.C. federal workforce are at the higher, higher levels providing leadership. Uh, you know, that goes without saying. Jennifer Granholm, she got out there with her. It wasn't until she took a trip in an electric vehicle that she found out just exactly how these things work. She thought they were a smoking hot idea. Now, if we were just to adopt those three points, that would go a long way in disrupting the elite's power base. And that's the way we have to look at this. The elite are like a rampage killer. 
a rampage killer, when he breaches and goes into a building, he now, as long as he is not disrupted, he is going to kill, kill, kill until he is disrupted. And until we disrupt this deep state, it will be like a rampage killer to the republic. And that's just something we cannot allow. This is not about democracy. It is not about democracy. We, you know, we could return to Abraham Lincoln's vision, a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. It's a beautiful idea, but at the same time, it's a different idea than just getting out there and looking at Trump and saying, he is the savior. He is, a, he, he is the best choice today. He is not the savior. And he does have a shelf life, and he will run out, and he will expire, and then we got to go to the next thing. But in the interim, we got to look at what is underneath the surface, where the rampage killer exists, where they're destroying the republic, where they're subverting the will of the voters. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. When we get back, uh, I'm getting sort of tired of this whole transgender suicide scam where we're told that we have to absolutely do this or people are going to be killing themselves. Let's pull that apart at the seams, shall we? This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. GS Plumbing Talk Line is 1-800-905-0989. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Streaming everywhere. Streaming on Facebook. Streaming on X. Streaming on Instagram. Streaming on Rumble. Everybody's moving to Rumble. I hope Rumble proves to be the anti-YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. Yeah, good. <laughs> Still monetized, but Rumble, I think, is where the future is going to be for at least... People that think the way you and I might. The question becomes, how do you get largely reluctant parents and a resistant general public in, the, in America to cooperate with transitioning kids? The only hope they have is to make it, you know, to punish people if you don't. Not to go along will be dis discrimination and it will require an intervention. You become an enemy of the state. That's the easy way for the non-conforming parents to treat them. The Biden administration has mastered the big stick policy. Biden's about face on uh, Title IX is already acting as an invitation to put the squeeze on parents and schools strive to stay ahead of changes tied to federal funding because it's all about the Benjamins. And if you don't cooperate with social transitioning, like decisions concerning restrooms, sports, hotel accommodations, that makes a parent subject to scrutiny, targeting, stigma, and coercion. So what they've done is they've expanded sex to encompass gender, and they've reversed the sex-based protections that Title IX was set up to uphold. And parental protections as well are being eroded like removing a parent parental opt-out from lessons covering gender or their ability to help identify pornographic books in school libraries, like 
you know how uh, Joy Reid was talking about. You could opt out in Florida. You don't have to ban the book. Right. But that isn't uniform. Something's happening to those posturing as educators. They want the public to get educated quickly. And the people that are, the, these families that are like not going along with this program, they can be made to look like bad guys. Parents of children identifying as trans. Can't, you know, that wasn't even a thing until about four years ago. At, at best, I may be shorter than that. It may be two. But, you know, I don't remember anybody, I don't remember hearing too much about people going, I identify as a trans back, you know, in 2017. Maybe that was happening in, in the bigger cities. I don't know. We're, you know, thankfully we're not as caught up on that as they are. But those parents can be reported and investigated for creating a harmful environment and their child taken into custody by custody by social services. Which to me is sort of taking the, you know, pulling them out of the frying pan and throwing them into the fire. If a child is in a confused state and they're looking for some sort of counsel, what they basically are postulating they're going to do is they're going to turn the child against the parent because they're going to say what the child wants to hear. And uh, that has a longer lasting uh, effect on a child than say just saying, are you sure that's what you really think? Parents who do not go along with the name and pronoun adherence would be potentially tagged as child abusers. That's what they want to do. And then they've got the school procedures who override parents who are suspected of harboring discriminatory views and blocking the transitioning process from parental view on a kid's say-so, which I would love to know how they do that. Then there's Canadian therapist David Miner. He says, is the problem with the parent not affirming or with the child's belief that non-affirmation equals abuse? Which the parent not affirming is the parent's right. The child believing that non-affirmation equals abuse. How many, I mean, show of hands. How many of you, when you were a child, if you're my how many of you sat back there and said, I wish this would happen or that would happen? That would show them because that's what children do, right? Children get hurt. They get upset and they have these old inner dialogues that flit about in their head about their parents. And I think that's just part and parcel of being a human, right? But it's up to the parent to see through all of this, to deal with all of this in, in a very in the best case, with a lot of equilibrium and to usher their child through this and make sure that they get through this hole. So, the one thing they throw out there is the suicide trope. When all the other stuff doesn't work, they have the suicide or affirm myth which underpins a recent revision of Title IX. And the suicide panic is based on a small handful of deeply flawed studies that find some loose correlation between affirming interventions and improved mental health. Although we have just as I mean, we can go to uh, Scandinavia and look at some of their long-term studies, and we find out that they still have a proclivity, in some cases, towards suicide. Because the people who are suicidal, if they don't get to affirm, they're not going to stop being suicidal just because they affirm. 
they're suicidal, right? When people get suicidal, when they really begin to consider taking their own life, this is the first moment of peace they've ever known in their lives. And very rarely are you going to say, I mean, I've never, I've known two guys that have killed themselves. And I can't think of anything that could have been said to them or done for them that would have stopped them. Because they came to this decision that I'm tired of this. And this was their moment of peace. This was their way out. And they were done. And that's the fight against suicide. You've got to get past that. On the other hand, we've got this increasing society-wide acceptance of gender identity. And everybody, I mean, it's the whole transgender thing is like the border thing. A lot of people, like if I were in California and I got convicted of murder and I got put, I was getting, I was going to jail for the rest of my life. The first thing I would do at sentencing was I would, I would look at the judge and I would go, your honor, I identify as a woman. And what are they going to do? They're going to send me to a woman's prison. And if no, if no other thing happens, at the very least, in that prison, I'm not going to get killed by a bunch of male uh, male inmates that are there that are involved in that whole power struggle that's there. Plus, there's other things that might happen, too. And the idea is that kids cannot survive any delay if they face a widespread, if there's no acceptance for them. And suicide fear-mongering, especially mouthed by teachers who would assume, can actually provoke the well-documented pattern of suicide contagion among youth. We've seen this with some of the rampage killers. They got on, they got on the news and said, the AR-15 is the weapon of choice of all of these rampage, well, they call them mass shooters. So all these mass shooters, when they start gathering some of their stuff, they go looking at the AR platform. A lot of them already have handguns. Most of them are done with handguns anyway. But that's how that begins. So we got a call? Do we have time? Let's go to Todd and Fountain Inn. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Uh, good morning, Bill. Um, hey, um, I watched The Sound of Freedom. I've actually watched it twice. Very disturbing and powerful movie. Great movie. Um, but with California, and, and I think it's Maryland, I can't remember the other state that is now doing the gender reaffirming actions and, you know, taking your child away if you don't conform to this. Here's my point on it. Here's my view on it. If they can talk a child into changing their their sex and doing this, you know, to better themselves, how easy it is for them to talk them and manipulate them into other things, um, the sex trade, the diabolical killer, I mean, you know, program killer, I mean, just, you understand what I'm saying? I do. I do. And it's it's very easy at that particular moment. It's very easy to do it. And that's why they're doing it, because they want to sexualize children because they look at children as nothing more than little itty-bitty adults that can be exploited. That's why they're doing it. And they're destroying the family on the well, process. Mean, well, one, one of the most powerful statements, and like I said, I've seen the sound of freedom, one of the most powerful statements that was made was, you know, why are these drug dealers getting out of drugs and moving into trafficking children. And the guy says, you can sell a gram of cocaine one time. You can sell a child seven times a day yeah. for 15 years. And Indeed. I was like, 
whoa, whoa, whoa. And that hits. I was like, whoa. Human trafficking. Oh, Human God. trafficking oh, is big business, Todd. Check it. I'm running out of time. Thank you very much for the call. Very good points. Excellent points. This is that, that this is really bad stuff, this whole uh, suicide trip. So, you know, when you see it, take it with the jaundiced eye. But speaking of suicide, there's a lot of inconsistency with the idea of physician-assisted suicide. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Just looking at the text line. <laughs> we are distracted, are we not? The GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, the X page, the Instagram page, and the Rumble page. On the text line. Trump needs to pick DeSantis as his running mate. Tim Scott is overrated, and Nikki just burned her bridges. Um, I would not be adverse to that happening. However, uh, I don't, I I don't know how that's going to work out just now. And and that's the thing about Trump. Trump's very unpredictable. Now he might go to him and and make that suggestion. I don't know. They they seem quite gracious to each other, even though uh, Trump's. Uh, there's some guys in Florida that wanted to help Trump pay his uh, legal bills with some campaign contributions, and uh, that's not going to be allowed by uh, DeSantis because it's illegal. So, uh, and that's not that Trump was not soliciting that. That's just some guys that had some creative ideas, so he's not letting that happen. But uh, you know, I would meet not be adverse to it. Um, the I've always thought the vice presidential choice is always like this sideshow. And I mean, when you look at some guys that were vice presidents, uh, you know, Dan Quayle, Al Gore, Spiro Agnew, those guys, um, they never went any further than that. And then the ones that did, like George H.W. Bush, who was a not a, not the greatest president in the, in the world, Joe Biden, who's not the greatest president in the world, um, they. Uh, you know they don't uh, they don't seem to do very good even though they're considered to be the understudy they're not the understudy they got their own ideas now I'm being asked what if trump loses the democrat well then i guess uh, it was either stolen or he lost on merit one of the two what if trump loses the democrat anyway back to physician assisted suicide that's uh, that's uh, first of all i don't know why they would call it that uh because suicide we're told suicide's bad we're told that suicides are not a responsible thing to do unless you're facing death. And then you have personal autonomy if you get a terminal diagnosis, but not any other time. Now, we all we have to do is look into Canada and see how that worked out. That's the way that worked out there, over there as well. It all started out about being terminal. But now if you're just despondent or if you're having a bad day, you can opt for a physician. Medical assistance in death, made as they call it. Euthanasia may be coming to a state near you. About 10 states in D.C. already allow doctors to 
prostitute their healing profession by providing patients with lethal drugs. But what about the logical contradiction in this movement? Because Western society has banned suicide. Maybe at one time the law swung to an extreme publicly reprobating suicides by, by denying them public burial. But then we became aware of the layers of mental factors that color a person's acts and therefore their responsibility. But taking even that into consideration, have we not swung over to the, to, to the exact opposite extreme there? And if someone is, uh, if we presume that everybody that commits suicide is out of their mind, and then therefore not responsible for anything that they do, much less taking their own life, how do we explain what we want to allow people facing extreme conditions like a terminal diagnosis or condition the choice of killing themselves. Are they out of their minds or not? Or suddenly, only in the face of a potential death sentence, have they suddenly become mentally lucid? Now, apart from the glut of people pushing death on the potentially dying, society as a whole does everything it can to deter suicide. Uh, Dr. Stephen Doran calls suicide deaths of despair. And it's not just old white guys. The rise in teenage suicide is alarming. And here's the thing. Why is suicide bad in all other cases but good in the face of death? So um, the advocates would say, well, it's the person's choice. We're pro-choice again, right? Well, why is a terminal diagnosis, a diagnosis that could be wrong, a magic moment that suddenly creates a choice that doesn't exist until that happens? Because guess what? We're all dying. Right now, I am dying. Every minute of every day. Every day that we get up brings us one day closer to our personal appointment with our funeral, to going to the reward. And what makes one dying a, a dying that can be mistaken better than the other? So here's the thing about this. While they're out there saying it's all about your personal choice, it's all about autonomy, death with dignity, all these other things, remember this. Nobody gets better by dying. Nobody gets better by dying. Because death, somebody killing you is not health care. Somebody assisting you in your death is not Healthcare, in much the same vein that abortion is not female health care. Euthanasia is not, that, that's not health care. That's a matter of convenience. And that's the way we should be looking at that. When we get back, um, California is self-destructing because of one thing, because they decided to defund the police and it's 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 showing. This is News Talk ninety eight nine W O R D. If I had my way, that would be every bump. It would always be one step closer to the edge. Unfortunately, I don't have my way. And plus, it would get very dull. <laughs> the GS Plumbing Talk Line is 
The Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Streaming live on the WORD Facebook page, the X page, the Instagram page, the Rumble page. Now, Maestro, I'm being told that the app is cutting out. Now, we can't do anything about that. Am I correct about that? Yeah, that's correct. But we are aware of it. We just can't do anything about it. Can't do anything about it. So, But, you know, if, if Maestro could, it would happen. He would do it. He would do it. You can't imagine some of the things he has rescued the show from. He can't imagine it either, but he, I, I know. I know. I fix I, everything. He fixes everything. <laughs> Without him, I'm just a guy in a room talking to a big fat stick hanging off of another stick. But because he is there, we put out magic. <laughs> or at least I think so. And on the text line, what the heck is going on with the Odyssey app? Stuck and constantly stopping. I, yeah. We're in the middle of the show. I don't even know who, who administers that. It, does, it doesn't even matter who does. Let's move on. Let's just move on. Right now, you're used to calling the cops. One of the reasons I carry a gun is I know that if I call the cops, it's going to be minutes before they get there. Some of you don't even go that far, though. You just want to call the cops. And, uh, well, let's look at how that's working out. In Alameda, California. Alameda is a city located in Alameda County, has a 2024 population of 70,000, declining at a rate of minus 2.52% annually. Um, the average household income in Alameda is $152,950 with a poverty rate of 6.79%. The median rental cost in recent years comes to per month, the, uh, you know, you know, I think it's like $3,000 a month. Now, Alameda between Oakland and San Francisco is about 46% white, 31% Asian, and 6% black. The average household income of 153 may sound high, but in the Bay Area, it isn't. Like so many blue cities, they can't recruit police officers. And right now, I'm thinking about putting in my application because they have a $75,000 signing bonus, which is the highest in the nation, and a $113,654 starting salary, which is more than officers make in major cities like San Francisco and L.A. But they're still struggling to recruit despite those financial incentives. I wonder why. And uh, we get this. Joe Aylworth, a former San Francisco police officer, explained that the recruiting crisis is the result of an extremely high cost of living in the areas that need officers and more than a decade of anti-law enforcement rhetoric. said this has been building up for 10 years. I can remember back in Occupy Wall Street, that's like almost 15 years ago, with this anti-police vitriolic narrative has been being pushed on and on. The negative rhetoric has come from both sides of the political aisle and poses concerns for them everywhere, from small-town departments to FBI agents. But then there's the cost of living, which has a large amount to do with this. Ellsworth told host Steve Ducey that his $200,000 salary wasn't enough in San Francisco. Average rent in San Francisco is $3,000 a month, and it can go over $40,000 or more a year. And that's if you're living in a closet. In most cases, they also noted that California, California is lowering the fitness standard and allowing non-citizens to become police officers. This does not include illegal immigrants. And Aylesworth said they are desperate. 
Right now, the police shortage from 2020 to 2022 in these major cities, Chicago, 2,400 plus officers short, LA, 600, New York, 4,000, Philadelphia, 800 plus, Seattle, 400 plus, Phoenix, 500 plus. Anywhere else, state laws require all police officers to be born or naturalized citizens. And the fact of the matter is, uh, we've all been disincentivized to become a police officer. So, what does this mean? This means that um, this is a long-term problem. It's going to continue on. We're seeing the same thing in the military. When you get out there and you demonize a group of people, they're going to want to stop. You know, in, in the military, it has been white people. They have been demonizing white people. So now guess what? White people aren't joining the military and they're like shaking their heads going, what's going on here? In, in law enforcement, they're like demonizing everybody that is a, is a become, wants to become a lawman. And then when nobody wants to become a lawman, they're all sitting there going, these guys are racist because they don't want to protect black people. You know, it's that old, old self-fulfilling prophecy that comes to, comes to mind. Now, one thing I'm going to do as soon as I get a little money is I'm going to go buy some stock in a U-Haul company in California. And I'm also, uh, you know, I'm going to point out to anybody that wants to hear about this, that going to work anywhere in California as a police officer looks like a very, very bad idea. But that whole U-Haul thing, this is what's going to make me. This is my diversification of things so <laughs> this is hey this is what they wanted this is what they wanted and i can't wait for the pencil neck geeks that don't have a callus on their hands to have to call the cops and then they have to wait for about a half an hour that's evil of me isn't it yes i know i enjoy it so much i'm going to tell you about something you thought was very conservative something they just did and i don't know if this was ignorant or or or, or evil and it doesn't matter, whichever one it is, it's bad. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.